Section 38 of Hinduism and Buddhism, an Historical Sketch, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hinduism and Buddhism, an Historical Sketch, Volume 1, by Charles Eliot. The Buddha, compared with other religious teachers the personality of the buddha invites comparison with the founders of the other world religions christ and mohammed we are tempted to ask too if there is any resemblance between him and confucius a contemporary asiatic whose influence has been equally lasting but here there is little common ground for confucius's interest was mainly in social and ethical problems not in religion he laid stress on those ties of kinship and society respecting which the indian monk like christ sometimes spoke harshly although there is a strong likeness between the moral code of the buddhist layman and confucianism he was full of humility and respect for antiquity whereas gotama had a good share of that self-confidence which is necessary for all who propound to the world a new religion footnote three ninety six there are some curious coincidences of detail between the buddha and confucius both disliked talking about prodigies analects seven twenty confucius concealed nothing from his disciples ibidem twenty three just as the buddha had no closed fist but he would not discuss the condition of the dead analects eleven eleven just as the buddha held it unprofitable to discuss the fate of the saint after death neither had any great opinion of the spirits worshipped in their respective countries End footnote. but with mohammed comparison or rather contrast is easier both were seekers after truth both found what they believed to be the truth only when of mature years gotama when about thirty-six mohammed when forty or more both lived to be elderly men and possessed great authority but there the analogy ends perhaps no single human being has had so great an effect on the world as mohammed his achievements are personal and had he never lived it is not clear that the circumstances of the age would have caused someone else to play approximately the same part he more than caesar or alexander was individually the author of a movement which transformed part of three continents no one else has been able to fuse the two noble instincts of religion and empire in so perfect a manner perfect because the two do not conflict or jar as do the teachings of christ and the pretensions of his church to temporal power but it is precisely this fusion of religion and politics which disqualifies islam as a universal religion and prevents it from satisfying the intellectual and spiritual wants of that part of humanity which is most intellectual and most spiritual law and religion are inextricably mixed in it and a moslem more than the most superstitious of buddhists or christians is bound by a vast number of ties and observances which have nothing to do with religion it is in avoiding these trammels that the superior religious instinct of gotama shows itself 
he was aided in this by the temper of his times though he was of the warrior caste and naturally brought into association with princes he was not on that account tempted to play a part in politics for to the hindus then as now renunciation of the world was indispensable for serious religion and there is no instance of a teacher obtaining a hearing among them without such renunciation as a preliminary according to indian popular ideas a genius might become either an emperor or a buddha but not like mohammed a mixture of the two but the danger which beset gotama and which he consistently and consciously avoided though mohammed could not was to give authoritative decisions on unessential points as to both doctrine and practice there was clearly a party which wished to make the rule of his order more severe and had he consented the religious world of his day would have approved but by so doing he would have made buddhism an indian sect like jainism incapable of flourishing in lands with other institutions if buddhism has had little influence outside asia that is because there are differences of temperament in the world not because it sanctions anachronisms or prescribes observances of a purely local and temporary value in all his teaching gotama insists on what is essential only and will not lend his name and authority to what is merely accessory he will not for instance direct or even recommend his disciples to be hermits Quote, whoever wishes may dwell in a wood and whoever wishes may dwell near a village and in his last days he bade them be a light unto themselves and gave them authority to change all the lesser precepts it is true that the order decided to make no use of this permission but the spirit which dictated it has shaped the destinies of the faith akin to this contrast is another that between the tolerance of gotama and the persecuting spirit of islam mohammed and his followers never got rid of the idea that any other form of religion is an insult to the almighty that infidels should if possible be converted by compulsion or if that were impossible allowed to exist only on sufferance and in an inferior position such ideas were unknown to gotama he labored not for his own or his creator's glory but simply and solely to benefit mankind conversion by force had no meaning for him for what he desired was not a profession of allegiance but a change of disposition and amid many transformations his church has not lost this temper when we come to compare gotama and christ we are struck by many resemblances of thought but also by great differences of circumstances and career both were truly spiritual teachers who rose above forms and codes both accepted the current ideals of their time and strove to become the one a buddha the other messiah but at the age when christ was executed gotama was still in quest of truth and still on the wrong track he lived nearly fifty years longer and had ample opportunity of putting his ideas into practice 
so far as our meagre traditions allow us to trace the development of the two the differences are even more fundamental peaceful as was the latter part of gotama's life the beginning was a period of struggle and disillusion he broke away from worldly life to study philosophy he broke away from philosophy to wear out his body with the severest mortification that again he found to be vanity and only then did he attain to enlightenment and though he offers salvation to all without distinction he repeatedly says that it is difficult with hard wrestling has he won the truth and it is hard for ordinary men to understand troubled as was the life of christ it contains no struggle of this sort as a youth he grew up in a poor family where the disenchantment of satiety was unknown his genius first found expression in sermons delivered in the synagogue the ordinary routine of jewish ritual his appearance as a public teacher and his ultimate conviction that he was the messiah were a natural enlargement of his sphere not a change of method the temptation though it offers analogies to gotama's mental struggle and particularly to the legends about mara was not an internal revolution in which old beliefs were seen to be false and new knowledge arose from their ashes so far as we know his inner life was continuous and undisturbed and its final expression is emotional rather than intellectual he gives no explanations and leaves no feeling that they are necessary he is free in his use of metaphor and chary of definition the teaching of the buddha on the other hand is essentially intellectual the nature and tastes of his audience were a sufficient justification for his style but it indicates a temper far removed from the unquestioning and childlike faith of christ we can hardly conceive him using such a phrase as our father but we may be sure that if he had done so he would have explained why and how and to what extent such words can be properly used of the deity the most sceptical critics of the miracles recorded in the gospels can hardly doubt that christ possessed some special power of calming and healing nervous maladies and perhaps others sick people naturally turned to him they were brought to him when he arrived in a town though the buddha was occasionally kind to the sick no such picture is drawn of the company about him and persons afflicted with certain diseases could not enter the order when the merchant anathapindika is seriously ill he sends a messenger with instructions to inform the buddha and sariputta of his illness and to add in speaking to sariputta that he begs him to visit him out of compassion footnote three ninety seven majima nikaya one forty three end footnote he does not presume to address the same request to the buddha christ teaches that the world is evil or perhaps we should say spoiled but wishes to remove the evil and found the kingdom of heaven the buddha teaches that birth sickness and death are necessary conditions of existence and that disease 
which, like everything else, has its origin in karma, can be destroyed only when the cause is destroyed. Footnote 398 The miraculous cure of Supiya, Mahavaga 6.23, is no exception. She was ill not because of the effects of karma, but because, according to the legend, she had cut off a piece of her flesh to cure a sick monk who required meat broth. The Buddha healed her. End footnote. Nor do we find ascribed to him that love of children and tenderness towards the weak and erring, which are beautiful features in the portrait of Christ. Footnote 399. The most human and kindly portrait of the Buddha is that furnished by the commentary on the Thera and Theragatha. See Theragatha 30, 31, and Mrs. Rhys David's transcript of Theragatha, pages 71, 79, and footnote. He had no prejudices. He turned robust villains like Angulimala, the brigand, into saints and dined with prostitutes, but one cannot associate him with simple friendly intercourse. When he accepted invitations, he did not so much join in the life of the family which he visited as convert the entertainment offered to him into an edifying religious service. Yet in propaganda and controversy, he was gracious and humane beyond the measure of all other teachers. He did not call the priests of his time a generation of vipers, though he laughed at their ceremonies and their pretensions to superior birth. Though the Buddha passed through intellectual crises, such as the biographies of Christ do not hint at, yet in other matters it is he, rather than Christ, who offers a picture and example of peace. Christ enjoyed with a little band of friends an intimacy which the Hindu gave to none. But from the very commencement of his mission, he is at enmity with what he calls the world. The world is evil, and a great event is coming of double import, for it will bring disaster on the wicked as well as happiness for the good. Quote, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. End quote. He is angry with the world because it will not hear him. He declares that it hates him, and the gospel according to St. John even makes him say, quote, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. End quote. Footnote 400 John 17, 9 But he prayed for his executioners. End footnote the little towns of Galilee are worse in his eyes than the wicked cities of antiquity because they are not impressed by his miracles, and Jerusalem, which has slighted all the prophets, and finally himself, is to receive signal punishment. The shadow of impending death fell over the last period of his ministry, and he felt that he was to be offered as a sacrifice. The Jews even seem to have thought at one time that he was unreasonably alarmed. Footnote 401 John 7, 19-20 End footnote But the Buddha was not angry with the world. 
he thought of it as unsatisfactory and transitory rather than wicked as ignorant rather than rebellious he troubled little about people who would not listen the calm and confidence which so many narratives attribute to him rarely failed to meet with the respect which they anticipated in his life there is no idea of sacrifice no element of the tragic no nervous irritability when devadatta meditated his assassination he is represented as telling his disciples that they need not be uneasy because it was physically impossible to kill a buddha the saying is perhaps not historical but it illustrates indian sentiment in his previous existences when preparing for buddhahood he had frequently given his life for others not because it was any particular good to them but in order to perfect his character for his own great career and bring about the selflessness which is essential to a buddha when once he had attained enlightenment any idea of sacrifice such as the shepherd laying down his life for the sheep had no meaning it would be simply the destruction of the more valuable for the less valuable even the modern developments of buddhism which represent the buddha amida as a savior do not contain the idea that he gives up his life for his followers gotama instituted a religious order and lived long enough to see it grow out of infancy but its organization was gradual and for a year or two it was simply a band of disciples not more bound by rules than the seventy whom christ sent forth to preach would christ had he lived longer have created something analogous to the buddhist sangha a community not conflicting with national and social institutions but independent of them the question is vain and to europeans christ's sketch of the christian life will appear more satisfactory than the finished portrait of the bhikkhu but though his maxims are the perfect expression of courtesy and good feeling with an occasional spice of paradox such as the command to love one's enemies yet the experience of nearly twenty centuries has shown that this morality is not for the citizens of the world the churches which give themselves his name preach with rare exceptions that soldiering financing and the business of government things about which he cared as little as do the birds and the lilies of the field are the proper concern of christian men and one wonders whether he would not had his life been prolonged have seen that many of his precepts such as turning the other cheek and not resisting evil are incompatible with ordinary institutions and have followed the example of the great indian by founding a society in which they could be kept the monastic orders of the roman and eastern churches show that such a need was felt there are many resemblances between the gospels and the teaching of the buddha but the bases of the two doctrines are different and if the results are sometimes similar this shows that the same destination can be reached by more than one road it is perhaps the privilege of genius to see the goal by intuition the road and the vehicle are subsidiary and may be varied to suit the minds of different nations christ being a jew took for his basis 
a refined form of the old Jewish theism. He purged Jehovah of his jealousy and prejudices and made him a spirit of pure benevolence who behaves to men as a loving father and bids them behave to one another as loving brethren. Such ideas lie outside the sphere of Gotama's thought, and he would probably have asked why, on this hypothesis, there is any evil in the world. That is a question which the Gospels are chary of discussing, but they seem to indicate that the disobedience and sinfulness of mankind are the root of evil. A godly world would be a happy world. But the Buddha would have said that though the world would be very much happier if all its inhabitants were moral and religious, yet the evils inherent in individual existence would still remain. It would still be impermanent and unsatisfactory. Yet the Buddha and Christ are alike in points which are of considerable human interest, though they are not those emphasized by the churches neither appears to have had much taste for theology or metaphysics christ ignored them the buddha said categorically that such speculations are vain indeed it is probably a general law in religions that the theological phase does not begin until the second generation when the successors of the founder try to interpret and harmonize his words he himself sees clearly and says plainly what mankind ought to do. Neither the Buddha, nor Christ, nor Muhammad cared for much beyond this, and such of their sayings as have reference to the whence, the whither, and the why of the universe are obscure precisely because these questions do not fall within the field of religious genius and receive no illumination from its light argumentative as the buddhist suttas are their aim is strictly practical even when their language appears scholastic and the burden of all their ratiocination is the same and very simple men are unhappy because of their foolish desires to become happy they must make themselves a new heart and will and perhaps the buddha would have added new eyes neither the buddha nor christ thought it worth while to write anything and both of them ignored ceremonial and sacerdotal codes in a way which must have astounded their contemporaries the law books and sacrifices to which brahmins and pharisees devoted time and study are simply left on one side the former are replaced by injunctions to cultivate a good habit of mind such as is exemplified in the eightfold path and the beatitudes the latter by some observances of extreme simplicity such as the patimokkha and the lord's prayer in both cases subsequent generations felt that the provision made by the founders was inadequate and the buddhist and christian churches have multiplied ceremonies which though not altogether unedifying would certainly have astonished Gotama and Christ. For Christ, the greatest commandments were that a man should love God and his neighbors. This summary is not in the manner of Gotama, and though love, metta, has an important place in his teaching, it is rather an inseparable adjunct of a holy life than the force which creates and animates it. In other words, the Buddha teaches that a saint must love his fellow men 
rather than that he who loves his fellow-men is a saint but the passages extolling metta are numerous and striking and european writers have i think shown too great a disposition to maintain that metta is something less than christian love and little more than benevolent equanimity the love of the new testament is not eros but agape a new word first used by jewish and christian writers and nearly the exact equivalent of metta for both words love is rather too strong a rendering and charity too weak nor is it just to say that the buddha as compared with christ preaches inaction the christian nations of europe are more inclined to action than the buddhist nations of asia yet the beatitudes do not indicate that the strenuous life is the road to happiness those declared blessed are the poor the mourners the meek the hungry the pure and the persecuted such men have just the virtues of the patient bhikkhu and like christ the buddha praised the merciful and the peacemakers and similarly christ's phrase about rendering unto caesar the things that are caesar's seems to dissociate his true followers like the bhikkhus from political life money and taxes are the affair of those who put their heads on coins god and the things which concern him have quite another sphere end of section 38 recording by linda johnson